Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the double L team, Lyle and... Lawson! Lawson, what are you thankful for this morning? Oh, I am thankful for food. You've done that before. Well, food... Like a million Food that I ate, okay, well... Look, look, listen, listen, listen. To be hear more me, specific. Than I don't know. It I was, can't be sushi. Okay, okay, basically. This is, this it can't be rice. No, not for a specific food. It can't be. But I can eat food. It, it can't be listen, generically sh- food. Stop, These stop, are all things stop, you've done before. Stop. Listen. Okay, so on Monday, we went and watched the Super Bowl. And then we ate pizza and played games. And then after that, yes. I felt like nauseous and I didn't eat for like two days. Oh. And then yesterday, I ate some food. And I didn't throw it up. That's and so I'm thankful. Then you can be thankful for not throwing up. Yeah, but I wanted to say food because I don't want to just go go on about you know throwing up. It's a breakfast show. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And then you come in here and criticize Absolutely. me for my good news story. I mean, well, not your thank- story. Your thankfulness, my thankfulness story. Your thankfulness story. But yeah, come on, Lyle, give us a break, dude. I'm I'm trying my best. Okay, it's been really hard. Not me. I'm Wow, that was a bit manipulative. Uh, <laughs> what are you grateful for this morning, Lyle? I got a new a, a new motor. Really? New for yes. what? For my Ute. Oh, really? Yes. And have you put it in yet? No, it's in a million pieces. I got to assemble it first. <laughs> Classic. Yes. Oh, awesome. very excited about it. So, you, so you're staring down the barrel of it. So the, gr- the grenade is is going. What kind of motor did you get? I'm getting. I'm getting a kettle. Oh, what does that mean? Every every Nissan patrol driver out there knows exactly what I just said. The grenade is going, whether the pin falls out or not, and it's being replaced by a kettle. I hate- so the three liter motor blows up, and the uh, 4.2 boils. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. 100 point question. We should be able to all get this one after listening to that song. All right. When Moses killed the Egyptian for beating a Hebrew worker, where did he hide the body? Uh, that song is no way related to this clue. No, nope. but you should just be awake. That's I think that's, that's the right. point that Lyle was making. That I thought he, was, I thought he was no, like, oh, no, he knows no. the it's clue just, question. It's just, it's just a lively and, song to wake us up in the morning. Okay, and, uh, okay, fair get enough. the brain cells firing along. Awesome. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call if you know the answer. For one hundred points, you can win yourself a Faith FM bookmark and bumper sticker. But again, that question was: When Moses killed the Egyptian for beating a Hebrew worker, where did he hide? The body. Okay. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Let's have some positively different news, Lawson. All right. Oh, Lyle, this is this is epic. This is I read this this morning, and I was like, this is very positive news. It's to do with health and exercise, which are great things. Yes. Which which we believe is fantastic for you. Uh, yes. Which God, health is always fantastic for you. That's right. You know, better to, better to be alive than dead. I say absolutely. Um, and at the same, you know, God also wants us to be healthy. He does. He wants us to be. A, God says, "I wish above all things that you may be in health." That's right. Not only does he want us to be healthy for ourselves, but he wants us to be a blessing to others, which we can be in health or out of health. There are plenty of stories of people doing amazing things from all kinds of situations. 
situations. But that all being said, um, a study has just come out uh, that was done by researchers in Australia and in Japan um, that has said that doing one downward bicep curl a day, which amounts to about three seconds of exercise over a period of a couple weeks to a month, can increase your muscle strength by more than 11%. One a day. One. So just pick up a barbell. A day. Put it up and put it down. You know what? I'm going to demonstrate right now. I'll, I'll keep talking. Hold on. Okay, all right. So Lawson is heading to the other side of the room. He's picking up the guitar and he's going to do this with the guitar. So he's, he's struggling. It's pretty heavy, this guitar. He's, 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 all right, here we go. Here we go. Is, is, oh, yeah. Yep. Whoa! It's done. Oh, you know what? Well, I feel eleven percent stronger already. I think I, you need to do it with something heavier than a guitar. Yeah, probably. That's incredibly light. Well, the point that the uh, study makes, and this is actually like a trend that we have seen in in exercise and bodybuilding um, and growing strength in general, is that people are doing less quantitative exercise and more qualitative exercise. They find that, um, yeah, particularly for power lifters and stuff, you know, hitting that lift over and over and over and over again um, isn't actually going to lead to, you know, more ability to be able to do it. They say that doing a workout where you hit your absolute maximum, your absolute peak for a short amount of time is actually more effective than doing a workout that way where you're kind of sitting around you know, uh, 60, 70% for a longer sustained period of time. Um, and this research is taking that idea to the absolute extreme and apparently they're proving it. Basically they got 39 healthy university students. Um, they had a control group where they said, do nothing. They had another control group where they said, do this specific exercise, like get the heaviest dumbbells you can lift them once don't do exercise for the rest of the day. And then they came back with the tests and they, the, the group who it made would, a difference. It made a huge difference. 11% is a massive difference. Yeah. That being said, I'm kind of looking at this study and, and I'm reading through it and they're like, wow, these findings are amazing. I'm like, how much of this is them actually getting stronger or just getting used to lifting the weight? And and the thing is, I guess the question that's going through my mind is, at what point are these people starting from? You know, because if you're a bodybuilder and you're starting as a bodybuilder who has already got a lot of muscle, then lifting one barbell one extra time per day, I don't think is going to make any difference at all. It's a little bit like weight loss. You know, people that are very obese can lose a lot of weight very easily mm in the initial stages, whereas somebody who is quite thin and wants to, you know, lose a couple of kilos, that's a major challenge. That's right. It's what we call the the concept of marginal gains, which yes. is essentially like the improvements gets harder to make the better you get at some So if you're totally weak and you're somebody who doesn't exercise at all, mm-hmm. an 11% gain would be, I, th- I would think, relatively easy to achieve. But if yeah. you're already fit, an eleven percent gain for is, an already fit person insane. Like yeah, that's, eleven eleven percent right. at the high levels is literally crazy. Yes, um, but that being said, it's like. But if uh, this is just for the average person like yeah, you and I. That's, that's right. Yeah, for, for yourself and myself, yeah. Shell sitting in the well. Shell's a bit of a bit of a 
Well, she's, she's, she's insanely strong. That's right. Um, but, like, for us, like, regular people who are just absolutely shredded, like Shell. If you ever need a hand, you know, lifting stuff, moving stuff, anything like that, just give me a call. Yeah, that's right. I'll send Shell. <laughs> 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 So awesome. <laughs> we'll send shell. We'll send shell. Oh, that's awesome. That's so funny. But yeah, guys, so what this means is essentially like if you're a normal person like us, if you're not a professional bodybuilder, buy a really heavy dumbbell, lift it at least once a day, and see results. Absolutely. That's that's the sim that is the simple conclusion that we can make from this. We so, can indeed. So yeah, awesome. Okay. You're gonna talk about Meta, Facebook, all I this am. stuff. Yes, yes, uh, the metaverse. I'm going to talk virtual about, reality. I'm going to talk about Google and actually something that they're doing that is <laughs> that is positive. That is this positive. Has to, this has to be this positive is, news. Again, this is like the absolute like destruction of Facebook. Everyone just hates oh, Facebook. Oh, Google's bro. Google's getting up on a so Google right. Google should just kick them off. So Android, uh, if you didn't know, eighty five percent of phones in the world run the Android operating system. So we've been talking about how Apple has like created these privacy settings, which essentially like stunts Google's ability, uh, Facebook's ability to be able to make money because they make money by tracking you and by selling your information to advertisers. Google, who has a much larger like market share in the phone space has gone, you know what? We should do the same thing. And it's so interesting from Google's perspective because Unlike, like, with Apple, Facebook is actually Google's biggest uh, rival. Right. Facebook is... Uh, and, and Google would actually have a vendetta against Facebook to want to do this. Um, because, like, Google and Facebook are competing on on three fronts. The first one is the advertising front. Yes. The second one is the uh, video front. V- Facebook, with Facebook video and how that works, has become like Google's uh, biggest rival because Google owns YouTube and YouTube is a massive video sharing site and Facebook has video sharing in and of itself and they've become huge rivals over like the video space to the t- like where they're fighting for the contracts of, you know, uh, content creators and, and all kinds of things. But ultimately it's like they both want market share in that area. Um, and finally, um, Google tried to make a social media in like 2013 called Google Plus that absolutely failed because Facebook just like stole like everything that was good from Google Plus, Facebook just implemented um, and just outgrew them. And just like Google Plus doesn't exist today because of Facebook. And so Google has gone, whoa, Apple did something that hurt Facebook. Which was basically making privacy and, like, and they didn't do this because they hated Facebook. Apple just did this because it was good for them. It was good for them, but it, on the other hand, really hurt Facebook. Yeah, that's right. Which Whereas is, from Google's perspective, they can do this not just because it's good for them, but because it hurts Facebook. It hurts Facebook. It's good for them because ultimately, what this is all about is that um, Facebook made the ability rather than um, tracking you and your information being opt out, it's opt in. So from the get go, your phone and the apps on your phone aren't tracking you, aren't okay. tracking your information. Yeah. Now Google has said, "Oh, why don't we?" Do the same thing. They've got this like um, project. It's called the Privacy Sandbox. They're making it and trying to apply it to all their apps. And basically, this is just another shot at Facebook's ability to make money. Um, and yeah, they're really starting. Like this is this is just like blow after blow after blow at Facebook and also at 
people using your information and selling it to advertisers. Because I think they've recognised that there is a big market there for people wanting to have privacy and That's not right. wanting to have their private information being used all the time. Uh, basically, Apple and Google uh, are chasing what the consumers want and Facebook has set up a business that is anti-consumer. And so now it's just, it's failing. But ultimately what this It'll means... It'll be very interesting to watch this, see where it goes. It's This is just good for us in the end. It ultimately, this competition has led to movement in this space and it's ultimately meaning that we're not getting tracked or we're getting tracked less you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith fm positively different here on the breakfast show we're going to have our 200 point question for our quiz lawson 200 points what was forbidden under the nazarite vow zero four nine one zero six four six six Wine. Wow, this answer is not what I expected. I hadn't read the answer yet. and Well, there's a number of answers. There is. I'm... And I think we should take any correct answer. Yeah, that's right. 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you know the answer. But again, that question was, what was forbidden under the Nazarite vow? Okay. All right. Mm. Let's hear what there you've you got go. to say on that one. 0491-064-669. Okay, so let's talk about the metaverse. Okay, yeah. Virtual reality. Sick. Sorry, let's just add to that what was forbidden to eat. Oh, oh what, eat. What eat. was forbidden to eat under the Nazarite vow? Okay. Because uh, I, like, I was like, this answer is very specific. There was a lot of things that they couldn't do. All right. <laughs> All right, yeah. What are you metaverse. not allowed to put in your mouth? Mm-hmm. The metaverse, which is basically virtual reality, where you can go into a computer game and you can... Uh, live through, you can create an avatar and you live through that avatar. Yeah. Um, and so you can meet friends, you can make friends with other avatars, obviously. Um, you can watch sport together, you can attend concerts together, you can go to the gym together, you can go to church together, uh, you can game together, you can have sex together, all kinds of stuff that is taking place in the metaverse. What? <laughs> Even to the point where there is um, probably the first case of uh, virtual sexual assault in the metaverse. What? This is this is this is, <laughs> this is where our world is sort of yeah heading to. Anyway, um, Microsoft, Meta, and Roblox are probably three uh, major players that are in a uh, metaverse race, just creating. Uh, content all of the time. And I want to spend a little bit of time talking about Roblox because uh, Roblox... Ro- Roblox? R-O-B-L-O-X, Roblox? Oh, did I put an extra O in there, did I? Yeah. Roblox. 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 Oh, Roblox. okay. We're talking about Roblox. Okay. Roblox. Yeah, let's talk about Roblox. So this is um, this is a game about uh, uh, two-thirds of children in the United States currently play Roblox. Dude, this, this, I know nothing about This game games. was my childhood. This is like Ro- <laughs> Roblox. Ro- Roblox is, dude. Oh, what a throw. so basically the idea behind it, and I'm glad that this was your childhood because you'll be able to tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, sure. But it is a format that allows children to both create and play games together. So it comes with a suite of developer tools where you can That's develop right. your own games and go out and play them and develop them, and you know, people they become popular. That's right. And- That's pretty much basically Roblox is a hub for people to go to to make games and then that's how Roblox makes money is that they they just have a, a bit of a, a virtual sweatshop kind of going on where kids make games and then through that uh, wildly successful business model super because who's paying kids no one and then through those games um, Roblox gets money 
Okay, so they, uh, so yeah, all their, their content is uh, generated by users. And, of course, these are kids, you know, some of these kids that are playing Roblox are very, very young. Yeah. What is happening is that this has become a space in which um, nasty people have been able to create <laughs> yeah. some really heavy games uh, full of, you know, hardcore sexual content and use it as a way of grooming children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, of course... The big question is moving forward. How do you police that? How do you stop that? Mm. You know, some of these things that they might, they might, you know, they, they catch a certain percentage that comes through, and they try and catch them within an hour of them turning up. But you know, you read some of the descriptions of the games that you can play and the things that you can participate in there in the virtual world, mm. which a six-year-old can also access, and it's things that I could never mention here on air. Mm. It, it, dude, it like it's not only the sexual content as well. Um, Roblox is like a hub for stolen content, basically, like for copyright infringement as well. If a Disney lawyer like wants to go after Roblox or or Disney or, or whichever like big media f- company we're talking about, Disney, Netflix, whatever, wants to go after Roblox and like they would clean them out. Like Roblox would be done because I would say like probably. Like, a large number of games on Roblox are, like, super explicit and disgusting, which is, te- which is like, awful, and they're, they're hard to police, and it's, like, really, really bad, and it's exposing kids to terrible things. But then I would say two-thirds of the games on Roblox are, like, <laughs> stealing copyrighted material and then repurposing that into a game so that you get clicks. <laughs> and then Roblox has to keep up with that. And, but it's, like, all their content that they're making money off so it's like oh we might delete this you know so there's no motivation to delete it too fast yeah that's right because this is the ultimate thing roblox didn't put any money in for this content to be created but they're making bank off it because there is a system where you have the ability to monetize the games that you make but roblox takes like an industry extreme of like Basically, for the games that you make in, in the Roblox suite, they take over 80% of the money that's made from it. <laughs> but even further than that, for you, to, there is a certain threshold that you need to get to of Roblox. But they pay you in Roblox in-game money, of which you need to get to a certain threshold of to turn it into real money. And when you get the Roblox money, which they call Robux, and you turn it into real money, the exchange rate of turning Robux into Roblox, it's like $1,000 worth of Robux that you pay for. Mm-hmm. It equals $350 Robux that you get back, essentially, that you can turn into money. So it's just a scam. It's just a scam. <laughs> it's scamming children out of money and time, and it's, like, exposing them to, like, sexual yeah, content. Yeah, the really, really nasty stuff. And it's it's like ter- racist like, and misogynistic yes. and violent and sexual content. It's really, like, dude, and obviously, like, here at Faith FM, we're, like, not proponents of all no, this we need stuff. No, we're, we're, we're proponents like, of is, parents being parents. That's right. And parenting their children. Yeah. And not allowing their children access to screens anywhere other than the living room where they are monitored all the time. Yeah, you know, and and then you know if, if this kind of things go anyway. I did talk about I did say that we talk about um, the Roman Catholic Church in yes. Phoenix, Arizona. So thousands of baptisms have just been invalidated. I heard about this. This is a wild story, right? A guy was doing something wrong. Yes. So basically, um, they've had to put out a call for 
Um, all of the people baptized by priest uh, Andres Arango to come back and to be rebaptized. But not only that, they have to get all of the sacraments that took place after their baptism redone. So it's invalidated a whole slew of marriages wow. and all kinds of stuff. Because marriages? Because this guy was saying the wrong words when he did the baptism. So when you do the baptism in the Roman Catholic Church, um, and this is a sacrament that is required for salvation, it's a requirement for salvation, mm. um, you're, you are supposed to say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, priest Andres uh, Arango was saying, we baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. What's wrong? He said, we instead of I. Yikes. Invalidated all Yikes. of these baptisms. Okay, so I'm going to quote now from the bishop, Bishop Thomas Holmstead, who is overseeing this, and he says, The issue with using we is that it is not the community that baptizes their person, rather it is Christ and him alone who baptizes. Now, last time I checked, the priest was not Jesus Christ. Yeah. So this is this raises all kinds of questions in my mind. The first question is, okay, that's kind of sorry for my Roman Catholic friends out there. I just have to apologize. But from my Protestant perspective, to say that the priest is Christ is kind of, and to in any way equate the priest to, to, to Christ is kind of blasphemous. Mm. Um, but the other question that goes through my mind is this. Okay, is Jesus so small-minded that he's going to be like, well, I'm just going to exclude all of these thousands of people from heaven and invalidate all of the sacraments that they have done ever since then because one priest, in an honest and a good heart, said the wrong words because he honestly made this mistake. He wasn't going out you know, trying to make a statement. Or he was just like got in the habit of it and never got out of the habit of it mm. and didn't realize and nobody corrected him. And is Jesus really that narrow-minded? I mean, mm. seriously? Um, the other thing is, okay, you're going to invalidate all of these baptisms over one word. Yeah, wow. What about the entire practice of baptism as you see it in so many churches which has nothing to do with what the Bible says and what Jesus did and the word baptism itself, the literal meaning of the word is to immerse. Mm. And they're sprinkling a couple of drops of water and they're going to invalidate over one word but not over, well, not actually baptizing the person at all in the first place. You know, this is pretty... Pretty uh, 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 crazy stuff. And, you know, if one word can invalidate a, a, a baptism, then what about a whole slew of other practices as we, um, you know, find here, which is, you know, in so many in so many practices is totally unbiblical. We just need to go back to the Bible, read what the Bible says. Baptism is super easy and simple to understand in the Scriptures. And let's do what the Bible says when it comes to all of these things. And let's recognize the fact that, you know, God is more reasonable than human beings and more e- more willing to recognize human failings than what human beings are. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Here on The Breakfast Show, before we go to our interview of the day, we have uh, another question for our quiz, Lawson, mm-hmm. 300 pointer. For 300 points, what did Moses do with the golden calf that the Israelites had made while he was with God on Mount Sinai. 0491 is the number to call. For 300 points, you can win a pocket sermon. But again, that question was, what did Moses do with the golden calf that the Israelites had made while he was with God 
on Mount Sinai. Zero uh, on Mount Sinai. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Okay, well, joining us on the phone this morning is Baron Neustratton to talk about the book of Genesis. Uh, Baron is our local expert on the book of Genesis. Baron, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Lyle. Baron, we love it every month when you come on the show to bring us your insights from the book of Genesis. And we've worked through to the point where uh, Jacob has left his father-in-law. He is heading back to uh, the land of Palestine and he has uh, become very wealthy uh, while he's been away, but mm. there's this small issue of his brother Esau that he ripped off some 30 years before, and Esau's been pretty sore about that. Uh, where do we pick this story up? Well, it's, uh, it's really chapters, uh, particularly chapters 32 and 33, which are just some of the most fascinating chapters of the book of Genesis. Uh, as you said, there is a, there's a dark cloud, and that is, of course, the the attitude of Esau and most likely his intent for revenge and uh, that is hanging as a huge shadow over what must have been an emotional return to familiar territory and uh, he had uh, of course um, the conviction that uh, unless God intervened he had no hope and when we look at these two different characters, you've got Jacob who is a farmer, he's a pastoralist, he's a husbandman, he's, uh, you know, all of these kind of things. And Esau, it seems, has become a warlord. Yeah, he, uh, there's a note here that he has 400 armed men that might not have been even his total army. He, um, he actually uh, had engaged in warfare and establishing his locality. Then he had a place called Seir, which is in the south of the Niger. Uh, but that, not at the exclusion of being uh, an owner of significant properties, because Jacob hadn't been around for 20 years, and all the, the possessions of his father, um, that uh, uh, Isaac, who was still alive at this time, of course, uh, was regarded by Esau as belonging to him, if you like. Right, so Jacob's gone. J- Jacob steals the birthright, but he's gone. So Esau's like, well, Jacob's not here, so I'm going to get the wealth anyway. Now Jacob's Correct. coming back, and his father has not yet died, so that wealth hasn't yet transferred to Esau, and so that makes Jacob a bit more of a threat, doesn't it? Well, yeah, and, and there's an interesting thing if you look at the 32nd chapter and you look at verse 5, that he instructs his servants, you see, what to say. He's talking about my Lord Esau, your servant Jacob. He, he is, uh, uh, it's indicative of the fact that he is acknowledging that he had wronged his brother by stealing that birthright. But he makes an observation and he impresses his servants to say to Esau that... Uh, he has done well. That is, he has auctioned donkeys, flocks, male and female servants. And, uh, you know, he's giving very generous gifts to soften up the, the brother. Uh, what he's trying to say to his brother, I don't want to share of the inheritance. I have enough. Right. So he's sending a very clear message like, you're in charge, you know. Um, and, and so, and, and, you know, the birthright effectively the benefits of the birthright, the material benefits of the birthright, you can have them. I don't need them. I just want to come home. Yeah, correct. That's it. 
Okay. Yeah. Why is it then that Esau hears about his brother coming and uh, hears that, you know, he's he's not coming to be a threat or anything like that, but Esau's still marching out with 400 men. He must still very be very sore over having lost the uh, the blessing that comes with the birthright, and there must be more to that blessing than we understand in our culture today. Yeah, perhaps uh, how much value Esau attests to that, particularly the spiritual side, would be doubtful. But the fact that his brother had crossed him uh, was uh, obviously still a sore point with him, even after 20 years Um so he, he comes with 400 men. It is not uh, as such a warm welcoming committee. It is really that an intent of war seems to be imminent. And uh, this is what alarms uh, Jacob because there is no nice message coming back from Esau to say, I'm looking forward to catch up with you. Uh, there is obviously no affinity or affection that he notices. And he knows, he knows, Jacob knows that the only one who can change the attitude of his brother is God. Mm. So he does a number of things. So, so Jacob does a number of things here um, in his strategy in meeting Esau. He sends gifts, he divides his camp, and he spends a night in prayer. Um, the gifts are quite significant. He sends, you know, large herds of, you know, animals and so forth uh, yeah. that belong to him. Um, why, yeah. why does he divide the camp? What's going on there? Yeah, he thought that if uh, it all didn't work out and God would not answer his prayer, by dividing up the, 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 the groups, uh, he was hoping that at least one of the two groups would make it to safety. Uh, it's interesting that if you look at uh, chapter 32, there is a, an important statement right at the very beginning he had good reasons to turn to God and to expect that God would help him because it says in verse 1, when he went his way, the angels of God met him. This is a remarkable statement, Lyle. So there is, there is a, he has a, 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 a visual contact with angels uh, that he sees. And the name of that place he called... Uh, Mahanaim, uh, which is uh, in Hebrew, Mahanaim, it means two camps, angels before, angels in the front. The patriarchs and prophets author puts that point there, that the angels were there to guide his rear and to protect him from the front. So there was a good reason for him, particularly because God had directed him to go back home. There was a good reason for him to be optimistic but he felt he still needed to, well, get closer to God, to see God. He wanted the assurance of forgiveness. That was the main point. I mean, what's the use of wealth if you forfeit your life? And so that was still very much on his mind. It's a fascinating scenario. It is indeed. And, you know, when we think about Esau coming with 400 men, well, that's about uh, 82 more men than what Abraham used to take out the Amalekites, sorry, the, the yeah. Elamites. Um, and so this yeah. is nothing to be sneezed at, at the, particularly at this particular period, particularly when it seems that Jacob doesn't have warriors. He's not a warrior himself, and he doesn't have warriors or house guards no. or anything like this with him. He's just got women and children, more or less, really, and servants, uh, shepherds and so forth. Yeah. Um, so they are in a very vulnerable position, even though they've seen 
uh, the angels before and behind. I, I find it interesting that he doesn't just rely on the angels. He also does everything that is in his power to make things right with his mm. brother. That is true. That is exactly what he does. And there is a message in it for us, isn't it? We still should do what we can do mm. and collaborate with God, but knowing that our own devices won't do it. And that's what he had to realize. Okay, so he does a number of things here. He he divides his camp, uh, he sends gifts, and he spends a night in prayer. Uh, yeah. The Bible says that he sends his, uh, his family across the river. Uh, he goes back over the river and spends the night himself in prayer by, you know, by himself. Uh, yeah. why, why does he go off by himself rather than gathering and, and leading prayer amongst the whole camp, do you think? It really is between him and God. He has to confess his sins. He has to humble himself. It really comes down to his doing his actions, and he knows that. And he he wants to confess uh, privately before God. There is an intensity that maybe uh, could not be, uh, what shall I say, uh, shown to the people around him. It, It is when you are alone with God, it's just you and God. Uh, I, I think he goes to another to another dimension of prayer. So he's taking personal personal responsibility for Very the much. dire situation that they find themselves in. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So uh, he's praying there on the other side, and somebody begins. Somebody he, he gets attacked. Well, yeah, he feels a hand on his shoulder, and he assumes it is an enemy. And that occurred at midnight. So from midnight on, that he engages in a physical fight. Now, you've got to understand that Jacob was 77 when he fled to uh, his uncle Laban up north there, northern Mesopotamia. He is 20 years later now. He's 97. And he fights with the assailant that he assumes is an assailant. And they seem to be reasonably even matched because they continue to fight. Uh, but then ultimately, ultimately, there is, the, and you know the story, there is the desire of the assailant to leave for daylight appears. And uh, by this time, uh, by this time, there must have been in the mind of Jacob the realization that this is no ordinary man. Yes. That he's dealing with, particularly not that as he refuses to let him go, there was a, uh, a touch by his opponent. In fact, in Patriarchs and Prophets, he says that he only used his finger, which sent Jacob flying as far as uh, his physical condition is concerned. He damages his hip, which got dislodged. And he realized by that supernatural strength that this was a celestial being. And uh, there's, a, there's an interesting conversation, of course, uh, between them. And uh, the, uh, the angel says, of course, let me go for daylight is, is coming. But he then uh, he doesn't want to do that. And he hangs on to him and he said, I will not let thee go unless unless you bless me. That is what he was after. So at that particular point, or by that point, he had recognized who it was that he was actually wrestling with. Yes, he did. 
Yes, that's the important part because that is that is uh, uh, evident in the name of that he gives to the place. Peniel means really uh, the face of God. Panin means face. Ale is the singular of God, and he, he is convicted. He knows. He has seen God face to face. In verse 30, he says, I have seen God face to face. And uh, and his name is changed. And that is very significant. Because in the name change, he knows he is forgiven. Mm. Completely forgiven. And so when we talk about Israel today, every time we use the name Israel, and you know it's so often in the news and so forth, Every time we use that word, it is a reminder of the forgiveness of God that he reaches out to us with his forgiveness, and he wants to extend that to each one of us. Yeah, and, and if you look at that name, so so the verb that's included in the name is Sarah, which means fight or rule. Um, there are no prepositions there, prepositions uh, as well. So it, it, it could mean a number of things, but God rules would be perhaps the clearest. You could also interpret it if you add suppositions, ruling with God, or even, even, even overcoming God. The only way you're going to overcome God is by total confession and and, and, and humility. That's what he did. That's what he did. There are so many fascinating, you know, metaphors that we can draw out of this story because I'm sure at times we've all had that experience of wrestling with God, maybe not in a physical way like yeah. Jacob did, but certainly wrestling in prayer with God. Correct, correct. And yeah, it, I agree. And, and I think that, you know, it's it's a good thing and a healthy thing at times to reach that point where we cling to God and say, I will not let you go unless you bless me because, you know, it, I think it was at that point that, you know, Jacob realizes his total dependence on God his total need of God, because, because now even even in himself, his own physical health, his own physical strength is gone. He's got nothing that he can contribute if it comes to a fight with his his brother. Baron, it's been yeah. fantastic having you on the show once again. Um, we're going to have to leave it there because we're out of time, but uh, we do look forward to picking up this story and, and talking more about Jacob wrestling with God and uh, Esau turning up next month. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.